What's that? What's that sound? Ah, that's the siren. <laughs> as soon as we press record, the siren starts. That's actually the island-wide siren going off. So normally it is used to trigger like if there's a tsunami or there's a war coming. Okay, then they will sound the siren. Okay, it's done, it's done. So I think it's because it's a national day, so they sound one in the morning today at 10. And then they sound one just right now. And I think that's the last one. Yeah, we're not going to war, so you don't have to worry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I should say then, uh, welcome back to the World Coffee Championships podcast. This is the final episode. And today we are going to talk about two competitions. And to help me navigate the story, I am joined by a new co-host. Who are you? Hi, everybody. I'm Kimberly here. Thank you for having me, James. Should I call you Kim or Kimberly? You can call me Kim, whichever works for you. So Kim, where are you right now? Where are you talking to me from? I'm talking to you from Singapore, a small little tiny red dot just beside Malaysia and Indonesia. <laughs> yes. From the <laughs> east to the west, it takes less than 30 minutes by car. Tell me like your background. Tell me your story. Hmm. I was actually an engineering student. I decided to not go into engineering at all. And I started to work as a part-time barista at one of the chain cafes in Singapore. Okay, and that's where I started my coffee journey until now. Have been in the Singapore Coffee Association for the last, wow, maybe 10 years. How many world events have you judged at? This would be my five years, my fifth year. Okay, so Kim, today we're going to talk about two competitions. Coffee in Good Spirits and Brewers Cup. On the face of it, you know, these competitions are all about making coffee for judges. They're pretty similar, no? No, they're worlds apart. Fundamentally, what is the difference between these two competitions? Coffee and Good Spirits is a much more fun uh, competition. So you see a lot of flair. Uh, it's a much more subjective competition. Okay, really involves a lot of creativity, a lot of showmanship. Okay, while Brewers Cup uh, is much more objective. Okay, it talks about the skill sets of the competitors. It talks about the, the coffee as well. So in terms of the quality of the coffee too. So you can see the two of them are actually very different. I mean, the, the mood itself, I think is also quite different too. Mm-hmm. So which competition would you like to explore first? I think let's go for coffee and good spirits first. But before we move on, James, let's give a shout out to the sponsors. Yeah, so the World Coffee Championship podcast series is supported by Victoria Arduino. Victoria Arduino advances coffee knowledge and innovates across design, technology and performance to produce machines that nurture coffee professionals' passion for espresso excellence. You can learn more at victoriaarduino.com or give them a follow at victoriaarduino1905. And today's episode on the World Coffee and Good Spirits Championship and World Brewers' Cup is supported by Liquor 43. You can learn more about this premium liqueur produced in the Mediterranean city of Cartagena at liquor43.com. So Kim, this is a really dumb question. In WBC, when you drink the cappuccino from the competitor, what should be the dominant flavor in that drink? The coffee. What about the signature beverage? What needs to be the dominant flavor there? Coffee, the espresso. What about coffee in good spirits? Mm-hmm. Does it need to taste mostly like coffee? No, you, you can't taste it mostly like coffee. It has to have a good balance or a balance of combination and flavors of the coffee as well as the ingredients and the alcohol that you actually put in. Okay, we all ready? I'd love to play audio for you of the sorts of things that Coffee and Good Spirits competitors have served judges over the years. All right. 
So I'm actually pulling your espressos over a 30 gram blood orange ice cube. One CL of a PX cherry. Ten ml of ratafia from Marseille. 30 ml of orange simple syrup. A tete sake. 30 grams of Pella Estate ice wine from Canada. 20 ml of chocolate. Gloves, coriander, and cinnamon. 15 milliliters of Tatra tea, which is a unique tea based herbal liqueur. Please enjoy. Thank you very much. Time. I think the Coffee and Good Spirits is really wants to promote creativity. The sky is the limit. So, you know, you can try a lot of different things, okay? And how it turns out to you and how you want to bring it to the table and how you want the judges to experience from all of this. Mm-hmm. So your showmanship, your creativity and everything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I spoke to a competitor from the UK who told me about some of the lengths he goes to to create interesting flavors. My name is David Jameson. I am currently the green coffee buyer for Grumpy Mule. And I've had a checkered history of uh, various competitions, including the Coffee and Good Spirits Championship, where I have been a national champion, world finalist, and a coach to a world champion as well. So one of the things I like to do in order to be competitive is to try and stand out as much as I can do. And that's where the creativity comes in. One of the things I think is really important about being inventive and creative is the recipe development stage of this. So in the 2016 season, the sponsor was Grey Goose Vodka. And what I wanted to do was find a beverage that I could create that had Grey Goose Vodka in it, but which gave me a little bit more than just plain vodka because that's quite a neutral spirit. Seeing as it was Grey Goose, I'd read up quite a lot about fat washing at the time. So what I did is I melted some goose fat, infused that into my vodka, and served a drink which was made up of sweet sherry, goose fat, Grand Marnier and vodka, uh, together with espresso, uh, which came across as a very weird, slightly savoury experience, but had this really silky mouthfeel. It didn't taste fatty, it didn't taste like goose. And so having that goose fat in there just led you into that savoury side of the coffee and really opened up a, a very unique Um, taste experience which I did describe as extraordinary for my judges I'm not quite sure they agreed with that with the scoring but it it did it it won me the UK championship so it can't have been that bad (laughs) it didn't didn't taste like goose (laughs) so Dave goes to the extent of you know melting goose fat and putting it into a coffee drink Mm. and he told me about a time when things went a little wrong as well So this recipe development process does have some pitfalls and dangers as well. And there was one year when I was experimenting with a few ingredients and a few methods that I wanted to try and incorporate. I know that bourbon uh, works really well with uh, chocolate and bacon. I also know that chili works really well with chocolate as well. And so what I thought I might do is create something where I would infuse bourbon through a bed of coffee uh, using a, an Italian mocha pot and then pour it over a chocolate egg with bits of bacon inside. And it was a brilliant concept. But I I failed to take into consideration some of the basic physics around this. And what happens when you put alcohol in the bottom pot of a mocha pot and then try and force it through coffee is it goes quite a lot faster than you might expect. And so the bourbon boiled. It shot out of the top of my mocha pot and I had the lid open to see what was going on. And I'd chosen to do this for some reason, I still don't know why, on an open fire on a gas stove. And so the boiling alcohol spat out of my mocha pot, flooded all over the kitchen, set on fire. And then I'm running around trying to find tea towels to put the fire out. And my wife didn't speak to me for about a week. And really, I cannot 
I cannot recommend trying to make mocha pots with alcohol. It just isn't sensible. Please don't do it at home. <laughs> I can't understand why the wife won't speak to him for one week. Right. <laughs> so, you know, what would be the value of competing in Coffee and Good Spirits or, you know, volunteering backstage? Like, what sort of things would you get to experience? I think for Coffee and Good Spirits, um, I think the vibes you, is a lot more fun mm-hmm. in terms of the the competitors and even the judges, they just seem so energetic and so fun okay, mm-hmm. on stage and backstage as well. Yeah. And that really attracts me like, wow, that's a super fun competition that I want to be in. Or it could be the alcohol that's making them so fun. It's actually funny. I spoke to some of the organizers of the very early Coffee and Good Spirits competitions. Mm-hmm. And they said, back then, you know, you would see an espresso with like three shots of vodka. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I heard, I heard that they were dancing on their seats by the end of it. <laughs> that, that sounds really, I'm not sure really, I want to say that sounds really fun. Yeah. And, you know, it, it seems like it's all fun and games. But Dave also had an argument for why he thinks coffee and good spirits is important for coffee farmers. That's interesting. People often dismiss coffee and good spirits as being a slightly gimmicky sideshow, but I don't think that could be further from the truth, actually. Coffee and good spirits has a really important and serious role to play because we have this perception in the market of a ceiling price for what coffee is worth. And it might be £3 for a flat white, or it might be you know, £4.50 for a Chemex or something like that. But actually, if you walk into a cocktail bar, you'll be lucky to get change from 10 or £15 for an espresso martini. And that might be using the worst coffee in the world. If you can make your espresso martini legitimately worth that £15 investment, then actually what you've got there is a change in the mindset of consumers as to what they're willing to pay for coffee. If you can break that barrier down, if you can increase what consumers are willing to pay for coffee, you can flush that throughout the supply network and get to a position where you can reward farmers and you can actually get to a position where the entire coffee industry could be more sustainable. Okay, I've been to like, you know, some of the bars, especially one in Hong Kong that they really use uh, specialty coffee and those really comes out great. Mm-hmm. And I'm willing to really pay for it. Mm-hmm. So actually, during my trip in Hong Kong last year, I did visit that bar every night just to drink that coffee cocktail. Oh, cool. What would the experience have been like in Hong Kong if you were there, say, 15 years before trying to get a coffee cocktail? Let's not talk about 15 years ago in Hong Kong, but let's talk about Singapore then. Okay, 15 years ago in Singapore, you will not find coffee cocktail bars. But right now, so you start to see like, you know, people start to pay attention to coffee and cocktails. Mm -hmm. A very good example would be the Singapore National Coffee and Good Spirits Championship. Okay, for last year, I think half of our competitors are actually not from the coffee industry. Oh, really? Yeah, they are from the bar industry. Yeah, right, right, right. And um, I spoke with Cheryl Lee about the development of the Coffee and Good Spirits Championship in Malaysia. Oh, Cheryl! I know her, she's my neighbour. We're just next door. (laughs) Yeah, Singapore and Malaysia. And she had some interesting insights about how the Coffee and Good Spirits competition is kind of evolving in Asia. Oh, let's listen to that. My name is Cheryl Lee. I'm from Kuala Lumpur and I'm an SCA trainer and a WCE certified judge. Coffee. It is like a magical journey that I never got tired about. I started drinking alcohol about four years ago because I've seen the competitions going around and I was thinking like, if I don't drink, I don't get to participate. I don't get to judge. The scene 
for cocktail in Malaysia, we have about five bars that I do know. Two of them are actually listed in the World 50 Best Bars. Actually, in Malaysia, we do not have the Coffee in Good Spirits Championship yet because of regulations as we are a Muslim country. But the baristas here, they know very well that this championship exists and they are quite interested in Coffee in Good Spirits. So they do serve it in their cafes. And for cocktail bars, they have actually embraced the specialty coffee instead of the usual coffee that we know. It's very encouraging to see cocktail bars using higher quality coffees. It's also another platform to help more consumers understand that there is good spirits and there is good coffee. And when both combine, we create a different dimension of enjoyment in these beverages. The unique drinks that we are seeing baristas and even bartenders using in their cocktail recipes are local ingredients, local spices. We see like pandan, lemongrass. Pandan is a very long leaf. It's green in color. It gives out a very fragrant aroma. We use pandan in our local food like to cook nasi lemak. I've seen one recipe that uses pandan and also gula melaka with hint of a cinnamon. And it actually tastes very well balanced. I see that Taiwan, they have many years of experience. So I think we are looking towards Taiwan as a learning platform. When we finally get the license to have the Coffee in Good Spirits competition in Malaysia, I think we'll do pretty well on the world stage. Having that we have a bunch of uh, really good, hungry and inspirational baristas over here. So yeah, Taiwan. I've been to Taiwan. I try to go to Taiwan. It's interesting. Uh, I go to Taiwan at least once a year, uh, sometimes for the competitions. Okay, I do know that the local players are actually putting a lot more effort to try to promote Coffee and Good Spirits. So overall, I get the impression that the Coffee and Good Spirits Championship is becoming increasingly popular in parts of Asia. Yeah, it is. Uh, I, I actually see it in Thailand. So Thailand is also growing as well. Okay, Singapore, we are also trying to promote that here, okay, by trying to get the coffee players involved as well as the bar uh, players involved as well, because I think that it is a good mix. So both can learn from each other. Right, right. So by comparison, you know, it seems like it's a much more subjective competition, you know, a competition that really kind of promotes experimentation. Mm -hmm. It is, it is. Yeah, which is quite a contrast to brewer's competition. It's black and white. So tell me, what is Brewers about? Oh, Brewers Cup is all about the coffee. <laughs> Just the coffee. And your brewing methods. How you understand your coffee, how you understand your brewing methods, what you're going to do to highlight the coffee. So you're saying that it's almost an easy competition to get involved in? Correct. Because we do have a lot of home brewers in Singapore. Okay, and a lot of them don't own uh, espresso machines at home. And a lot of them don't work in a cafe. Mm. Okay, so to, to get them to actually... To interested in participating in the barista commission is a lot harder. Mm -hmm. Okay, but it's very easy for them to choose a manual brewing method and brew at home and practice at home and to participate in the brewers competition. Interesting. Well, Kim, hmm? we're going to hear a story eventually about someone who actually somewhat disagrees with that. Oh. And says, well, you know what? There are these barriers 
in place. And it's not as easy as it sounds. I'll be interested to hear that. But yeah, so Kim, I have a question though. What was it like in Singapore in say, I don't know, 2010? You went to a specialty cafe to get a filter coffee. No. What would have been the quality of the coffee? You probably won't even get a filter coffee. (laughs) Yeah. Really? Yes. So most of the cafes here don't really sell filter coffee back in the days. Uh Uh, A lot of them do sell Americano. So when you, like even in the chain cafe, sometimes when you ask for a filter batch brew coffee, they'll probably push you to get an Americano instead. Oh, wow. So uh, even if you go to some cafes, you'll always be batch brew. And what's the quality? Ah, the quality is acceptable. <laughs> you don't sound convinced. <laughs> yeah, it is. Come on, let's be honest here. What was the quality? Let's be yeah, honest here. It's, it's, it's safe. Uh, it is boring. It's like a black cup of coffee that just want to put milk and sugar in it and just forget about your day. <laughs> right. So this was the state of filter coffee in Singapore 10 years ago, which is interesting because I spoke with the person who created the Brewer's Cup and he tried to address that very problem. Oh, do I think I know who that person is? My name is Nicholas Cho. I'm co-CEO, co-founder at Wrecking Ball Coffee Roasters here in San Francisco, California, USA. Towards the late 2000s, people were doing more and more manual coffee brewing in cafes. And if you were visiting a cafe around this time, you might have this similar experience where you go in, and someone's got a Chemex and you order one and they spend like 20 minutes making one and it doesn't taste particularly good. I guess that fundamentally it's like, can we do better than that? I thought, you know, what if we made a competition, you know, like the Barista competition, but for filter brewing. Designing a coffee brewing competition, you know, what is that like? Well, it's, it's like designing a game or sometimes it feels like writing a song or writing a technical book. But at its core, what it really is, you're designing a small economic system, a system of incentives and disincentives. And so starting from a blank page, I was inspired by, of all things, uh, figure skating. So figure skating back in the 70s through the 80s, at least, there was a special round called the compulsory round. Figure skating competitors would have to do a figure eight on one foot, I think it's three times, and then they would do a separate figure eight with their other foot three times. And then the judges would come with magnifying glasses and see how consistent those lines were. So essentially the compulsory round was sort of meant to send a message. Let's prove that you can brew and let's prove that you can brew it well. One of my my concerns and criticisms of the barista competition culture is that the judges are sort of the possessors of the quality assessment of the standards. It kind of lives in the collective cloud of the judges' brains. It should be more objective. It should be something that everyone can learn, maybe together even. And so I wanted the standards to be built on something that was very accessible and open for anyone in the industry. So we built it based on the SCAA cupping form. It's slightly modified in terms of the math, but the intent was that if you were a Q grader or someone who was very well versed in the cupping form, then it would take about 15 minutes of calibration of tasting to just make a slight adjustment in your brain and in your assessment from evaluating green coffee to using that same tool to evaluate the brewing quality. One thing that I should mention, in designing the Brewer's Cup, one of the things that I came up on is, well, 
are people going to make one coffee? How much time do they have? And I agonized over these choices and these decisions for weeks. And so, you know, I went back to my experiences going to cafes and seeing one person sort of hovering over one Chemex brew for, you know, five, six minutes and sort of the unpleasantness of that experience as a customer and thought like, let's challenge people. If we don't create a high bar, then people won't even try to jump that high. So I thought like, what if it was three brews simultaneously? So I we tried it and three brews in seven minutes was pretty hard, but it felt like a thing that if you practiced, you could do. So that's what we set it as. For me, with both the Barista competition and any of these competitions, including the Brewers' Cup, the greatest value is not on the stage or the world stage. It's really at home, in different cafes, in different cupping labs where people are practicing. Like, you know, there's only six finalists at the World Championship. But when you factor in all the national competitions and the more local competitions, and then even people who are trying to practice at home and consider, maybe I'll compete someday, You're talking about thousands and thousands of people who are training to brew better coffee. And for me, like, fundamentally, that was the only thing that was important. Even that trying, like, that's really what I wanted to see happen. And that's what the greatest impact has been. Yeah, I kind of agree with him. I think the compulsory coffee was one of the most exciting parts in Brewers' Cup. So... Can you quickly explain how the compulsory round works? Everybody have the same coffee. Okay, using the same water, using the same grinder. Okay, and, and it was really your skills. Okay, how good you are in terms of preparing that same coffee. So how, how similar are these coffees in the compulsory round? To me, in my mind, they would taste really similar if brewed by, you know, very many expert baristas. Oh no, it can taste very, very different. Can you remember a, a, a competition you did, I don't know, more recently? What did a winning cup of coffee taste like versus a, you know, the runners-up? Oh, compulsory is very hard for us to know because we quote everything. So we have no way to understand which coffee it is that we are tasting. Oh, so it's all blind. It's all blind. Oh, wow. Yes. So we have no idea who prepared the coffee. So this set of coffee comes to me. Okay, there's a quote to it. I'll just write down that quote to that, you know, the score sheet, and I'll just cup it and score it according to it. Okay. That makes it even more exciting and challenging, right? And more fun. That's great. It's amazing how it just strips out so many potentials for bias and prejudice. And mm-hmm. there's like no showmanship. The showmanship is like behind a wall. You can't even see how they're performing in the compulsory yeah, round. Correct. I mean, it sounds to me a really fascinating competition to be if you're a judge or a competitor. It doesn't sound very interesting if you're part of the audience. Uh, yeah, for compulsory, may not be interesting for part of the audience. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how, you know, with these competitions, you want the audience to be engaged. You want the competitors to be engaged. You want the judges to be engaged. Sponsors to be, you know, mm-hmm. happy. But sometimes you just can't achieve all of that in one place. Yeah, you can't. Let's talk about open service. How good do these coffees taste? <sighs> Wonderful. It's like your whole mouth full of flavors. Because you know Brewers Cup, you taste it at different temperatures. Ah. So some of the competitors are able to tell you, okay, at this temperature, this is what you're going to taste. Okay, when it's hot, this is what the flavors you're going to get. Okay, bergamot, okay, blueberries, maybe you're going to get muscat grapes. Okay, and when it's warm, okay, you're going to get mandarin orange. So it's really how they understand the coffee. Because this is an amazing part of the coffee experience. 
And how do you communicate that in a coffee bar? How do you get that across to customers? All those nuanced flavors. In some coffee bars, so they do have a card that's placed on the tray together with the coffee. Yeah, and I spoke with a Taiwanese competitor who won the Brewers' Cup a few years ago, and how he brought in many elements of the competition into his cafe. Chad Wang, right? Let's go. My name is Chad Wang, and I'm the World Brewers' Cup champion of 2017. Now I own a cafe called VWI in Taipei, Taiwan. I had a chance to meet Stefanos Domatiotis of Greece. He was the world champion of 2014. I was his interpreter when he came to Shanghai for an exhibition. So I was stuck with him for five days straight. He, as a world champion, was imparting his coffee knowledge, you know, consciously and unconsciously, to me. I guess it was then that I got interested in in competing. During the practice of the competition, I was thinking, okay, so would this be how I would treat someone who came to my home or came and paid for a very expensive meal? Because that was what it was. I was serving Panama Geisha, which was very expensive at the time. So I was thinking how I could be more, first of all, precise, and then making my guests feel comfortable throughout the ten minutes. I incorporated many of the moves from tea ceremonies as well because I'm Asian. They create an atmosphere for their guests through the presentation. Even when you were just treating your friends, we never use a tea bag. We always use fresh tea, and it's always in a table. And everyone gather around the master, as we call them. He imparts his knowledge while he's doing it. Which is exactly the same as the Brewers' Cup Championship. So after I won the championship by coincidence, I'm not sure how the video of my finals presentation got translated into Mandarin Chinese and was shared very broadly in Taiwan. I'm not trying to boast or anything, but you know, suddenly I became this sort of celebrity person in Taiwan. So throughout 2017, 2018, all I did was VIP events, you know, exclusive, four to six people, and I was serving them the best pour-over coffees. But then something came to me: what about being connected with the coffee community? What about building my own team of baristas that know what I am doing? <laughs> so that led to me. Wanting to open a coffee shop, the whole design concept came from me asking who I was, what experience I wanted to bring for my guests in this coffee shop. I would say VWI is an extension of my championship and who I was. So the cheapest coffee in my shop is one eighty Taiwanese dollars. Well, that would translate into maybe three or four British pounds. The most pricey coffee would be six hundred and eighty, so that would be maybe twelve pounds. I think educating customers to choose the right coffee for themselves 
is the most important thing. I'm not saying at all that this expensive coffee, this unique coffee is the only coffee that people should drink. We have a convenience store in Taiwan called 7-Eleven. They serve specialty grade Ethiopian Americanos and that costs pound fifty. And it's specialty quality, I assure you. I drink it all the time when I go on travels. So my coffee is two to three times more expensive. But what I also give my customers is an experience to take back for them. And Kim, I also wanted to get a feel for what Chad's cafe looked like. So while he was on the phone with me, he gave me a virtual tour. Oh, nice. Okay, we are going to VWI on Fuxing. We have the Breeze Center right next to my shop. The Breeze Center is a department store. It's like Selfridges of Taiwan. You can see Dior, Gucci and Cartier. So that's right opposite of my shop. Okay, the sign says VWI by Chad Wong. As we enter, there's only two small tables on the first floor because most of the tables are upstairs. And uh, let's go up. So it's a full house today. So let me show you the menu. It's an A4 piece of paper folded in three. And if you see the first section, we have our filter coffees. You can choose V60, Fellow X, or the Gem Dripper. First of all, you choose your dripper. And then you choose your coffee. Basic, select limited and unique. And there are different prices. So the first page is the actual menu and the second page is the complete taste description which I'm going to elaborate just a little bit because this is also a part of what I did for the championship as well. So if you see, you will find jasmine and pear, you will find white grape aftertaste, you will find bright lime acidity and tea-like body in this one coffee. So I described it in a way that's the, the same as the Burr's Cup Championship. Casper, So three people ordered Panama Geishas today and uh, most people ordered lattes, which is great as well. <laughs> I've been to his place. Really? A couple of times. Oh, I can imagine stepping into there. <laughs> Just like yesterday. <laughs> and what about the experience? Like that was a very premium coffee experience he was offering. He really breaks down his offerings in terms of, you know, how he wants to cater to, to the consumers, whether they want to go for something that's simple, mm-hmm. okay, basic, or they want to go for something that's more flavorful, more extravagant or unique. Yeah. And the most expensive coffee on his menu, it was about $15 for a filter coffee. I think that's one of his ways of trying to really bring up that expectations. Mm-hmm. Everybody just sort of expect coffee to be less than $5. Mm-hmm. Even in Singapore, when I want to sell a cup of Americano, like, you know, for $5, okay, I don't think I can sell that as well. So it's almost like he's using the Bureau's Cup to help promote the idea of, you know, a $15 coffee. Yes. Changing perceptions. Correct. I remember when I was there, it was really packed as well. Maybe the thing is really an experience. Mm-hmm. Okay, it is an experience. I do remember ordering a cup of coffee and look, looking through the whole entire brewing process. That's what I actually paid for as well. You know, the way uh-huh. that they grind the coffees and they right. brew the coffee right in front of you. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's an entire coffee experience. The whole value proposition. Yeah, correct. Mm-hmm. And kind of Chad's approach here, 
to me, it sounds like it's very much focused on flavors, on, mm -hmm. you know, the latest in coffee brewing science. Yeah, it is. I think you, to, to be able to reach out to the common public, the consumers, it, I think the main key thing that really probably excites them is the different or the variety of flavors that they can get from that cup of coffee. I mean, when I want to talk to my friends and tell them, hey, you know, coffee on its own is not bitter. Okay, mm -hmm. And you can get so many different flavors out from it. And most of them give me like this belief. Like, huh? What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I think to really get them interested is to really just let them know that, you know, coffee on its own is different from the way that it's traditionally been tasted mm -hmm. okay, or been consumed, especially in this part of the world. Okay, and there's a lot more flavors that can, they can actually get from a cup of coffee interesting yeah so it's a way to bring in consumers to get coffee drinkers excited about new flavors to get them to pay more for it so it's a more economically sustainable industry yes it is it's the satisfaction to see them really brewing their own coffee at home okay and to see them scouting for new coffees at all the independent specialty roasters as well yeah interesting yeah and now i want to switch gears and look at another way in which brewer's cup is being used to further another goal okay and i would like to share with you the perspective of a u.s brewers cup competitor hmm. uh, my name is christina jackson i am currently store manager at intelligentsia coffee but my background is actually in music i have a bachelor's and master's in voice performance focusing on classical music so i started considering competition in 2018. And it took about another year of me to really get, honestly, gain the courage to do it. I think part of it had to do with, I felt like, you know, and, and I felt like, honestly, as a Black woman, I was like, I don't know if I have a shot. I see a lot of the same faces. I see people who have access to things that I don't have access to, mainly money. Do I have access to the lab? Do I have access to time outside of work to practice? I think it was a couple things that kind of made me decide I want to do this. I think one of the reasons was being promoted to that sort of leadership position at Intelligentsia. And I see people who look like me, who are really excited about coffee, and I want to be able to set an example for them and say, here's what's possible. At the time, Glittercat was coming up. Glittercat, it's a training program to boost voices in the coffee industry that had a very small voice. So these are marginalized folks, people of color, people in the LGBTQ community, you know, disabled folks. I, you know, I applied for Glittercat. It's probably one of the best decisions I've ever made. Going to Nashville as a spectator in January was really part of what pushed me to compete. I can think of a couple examples of a person walking up, setting up their routine, and starting off and saying, judges, today I'm going to brew you a cup of coffee that you will love. This coffee was made by this producer in Colombia, and they start brewing their coffee, and they stand there and don't say anything else for the next two minutes. Maybe that's an exaggeration, but what I was missing was, here is why I love this coffee. Here is why I think you will love this coffee. 
my routine was a journey, <laughs> to say the least. If I wanted to be successful as a competitor, I had to have something that was different. If we Black coffee professionals want to be seen, obviously we want our skills to be seen, of course, but it's not that simple. We have to have a voice. So that was starting with the producer in Ethiopia. I used a Black roaster, Boon Buna in Seattle. And I said, I'm going to be a Black performer on stage making Black coffee for white judges. <laughs> and in my opinion, I don't think it's necessary to have a super crazy high scoring coffee in order to perform well. I mean, I think it's important to have a good coffee, but I think it's more important to make a pretty good coffee taste good. When I went to preliminaries in Austin, I saw a guy, he had all sorts of tubes and glassware and I guess that's cool, but is this something that if I came in as a first timer, would I be like, oh, can I do that at home? When we talk about innovation in the coffee industry, we're talking about how do we reach our consumers, not <laughs> how can we make them more confused? <laughs> I said, Let, I'm going to use a Kalita. I'm going to try to get as much sweetness out of this as possible, try to bump up the extraction as much as I can and make a soft, sweet, round cup of coffee that makes me want to sit outside in the summer and enjoy it. I knew that if I wanted to connect with my judges, they had to see my face. I can't hide behind the coffee. I think also I had an advantage with is with my opera training. The first thing they teach you in studio class and singing is make eye contact. And if you don't make eye contact, look directly above their heads. So it looks like you're looking at them. And, you know, I didn't want to use music. I didn't want any distractions. One of the things I did in Nashville is I handed out cards with pictures on them. And it was a picture of Lem Butler. It was a picture of a Ethiopian coffee ceremony. I posed a direct question. What do you think about when you see these things? And I really think it challenged them to be engaged with me, not me engaging with them, them engaging with me. That was sort of my way of accessing them as people and not just as like a judge to, you know, tell me how did, well I did on professionalism. So competition went surprisingly well for me. When I went to Nashville, there were, I believe, 30 competitors. I placed eighth overall, and I placed uh, fifth overall in compulsory, which absolutely blew my mind, because to be honest with you, I did not really practice for it. At Intelli, we dial in every single day. We cup every single day. And I was like, I'm doing this all the time anyways. Do I really need to practice it? I was done before everyone else. I was like, I don't know. Coffee's pretty good to me. I think I brewed it three times. I was like, I don't know, I'm done, here you go. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and then I saw my name. I was like, yeah, I think fourth or fifth overall. And, you know, I tried not to let that get to my head. I would love to see Brewer's Cup evolve in two ways, I think. The first way, I think I would love to see the aspects of compulsory be integrated into the other competitions a little bit more. I love that it challenges us as brewers and it does not put the onus on the producers. 
And the second part of seeing brewers evolve is I think I just want to see it being more diverse. And I'm talking about racial, visual diversity, and I'm talking about ways to make it more accessible. It's expensive. A good refractometer is seven, eight hundred bucks sometimes. And I saw a guy, <laughs> bless his heart, the guy who was set up next to me at Nashville. I swear to God, he had a stack of like four refractometers sitting on his table. And I said, what, what do you need those for? And he said, well, I'm using them from compulsory. I said, all four of them? And it just seeing that as someone who I, I don't, I mean, I have access to those things at work. I don't have them at home. I spent all my own money, all my own time on all my equipment it's insanely expensive. Are there ways to sponsor, to pool resources, to help people get on stage? Down the line, I'm, I, I would love to coach. I would love to judge. I would love to help people reach their potential. It's not just about me. It's about what our, our industry is gonna look like in 15, 20 years. We're gonna have different coffees. We're going to look different, and I want to be able to help people along the way if I can. Wow. This is a culture shock. <laughs> really? How come? So it's really interesting to hear what she said, okay, based on her own experience, right? And, and I can say that uh, it could be the similar situation for us here in Singapore. Probably not particularly in Brewers, maybe more in barista competitions that you see the same old competitors again every year and it sort of like scare the newcomers. So they say, ah, oh, it's always the same competitors. They have won or, you know, they are very seasoned, always the top six. So our numbers for those competitions are always stagnant. And to compete is also a privilege. It is, it is. To compete is also a privilege, actually, because you have your registration fee. Okay, you need to buy your green beans. You need to take time off from work to actually, you need to invest time to actually practice as well. Like she mentioned about Greater Cat, that she really benefits from there. Mm-hmm. In the Singapore Coffee Association, we also did talk about whether we should extend financial help, okay, in terms of sourcing of green beans as well. Mm-hmm. And, and Christina mentions she'd like to see more compulsory elements in all the competitions. Me too. You too, right. We do run some non-WC sanctioned competitions. We actually get them to use the same espressos. Oh. So it's really like, you know, it depends on really on your, your skill set then. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually kind of like, you, I find it interesting that she say that because I would like to also look at it in that way to get them, you know, maybe mm-hmm. not too far off from the actual competitions, but maybe to throw in another element to it. Like they have the wild card, they have the team competitions, okay, and to have something similar to that as well. Yeah, that'll be really, really interesting. Right, right. And ultimately, how can people shape what the rules look like going forward? I think the World Coffee events, it is not close to ideas, okay? So there's a lot of things that's happening, okay, where people can share their ideas and voice out their concerns, okay? And that's why you always see revisions of rules and regulations on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Okay, for, let's take, a, for example, for WBC, World Barista Championships, I think we have been seeing them adjusting their rules, mm-hmm. okay, from moving the tables, okay, changing the way the table's layout is like. It, all this is really interesting things that's taken, you know, one step time. Uh-huh. In the World Barista Championship, you know, part one and part two, we kind of explored how the rules slowly evolved through this collaborative process. This wasn't like one person making rules. It's been a very organic, community-led 
volunteer-led process. Correct. And you know, these competitions kind of meet needs. And for Nick Cho, the problem he found was that he'd wait for 20 minutes to get a filter coffee and it wasn't a very good filter coffee. <laughs> Do you think like the brewer's competition has changed that landscape that Nick Cho wanted to change 10 years definitely, ago? Definitely, definitely. Now I can just walk into a cafe and I can expect to actually have some proper brewed coffee. Mm-hmm. And I begin to see even some of the hotels doing that as well. Wasn't there a recent article uh, a couple of years back about Korean airline? Oh, really? Okay, actually offering filtered brewed coffee, hand pot coffee as well. I tell you what, you know you're succeeding when airlines and big hotels are starting to take coffee seriously. Yes, correct. I feel like we're at a point now where we need to ask ourselves, what do we want next for specialty coffee? Do we want to really push the potential for flavor and to really kind of lean into the science? Or do we want to lean in on the accessibility of coffee? Where do we want to go? And how should the scoring and format of these competitions be changed to get there? Uh, I don't have an answer for you. Okay, I, I think the answer is too big to just be me on its own. Uh, I also have a lot of uh, queries coming from students, coming from baristas in Singapore. I think one of the most uh, important part is really be a part of the community that you are in. Push the national chapter, you know, get to know how the competition is being run. You can volunteer as a runner, volunteer as a calibration barista. And if you even if you have skills in terms of uh, baristas or coffee skills, you can even volunteer as a judge as well. So that is how one can actually get involved in the local community and build uh, the local community up. Because I come from that way as well. And from there, go to the world stage and contribute in any way that one can. Each competition has a community. There's evolution community. Okay, there are communities for rules and regulations as well. You can be in touch with the community. You can be in touch with people of the community. You can even vote for SCA board of directors too. There's a lot of ways to be involved. So that's the key. Mm-hmm. Yes, get involved. Join us. James, let's roll the credits. Credits time. So, we'd like to thank Dave Jamieson, Cheryl Lee Su-Yin, Nick Cho, Chad Wang, and Christina Jackson. And there were so many more people who helped put this series together, and we've listed their names on the SAA website. James, let's give a shout out to the sponsors. Yes, so the World Coffee Championship podcast series is supported by Victoria Arduino. Victoria Arduino advances coffee knowledge and innovates across design, technology, and performance to produce machines that nurture coffee professionals' passion for espresso excellence. You can learn more at victoriaarduino.com or give them a follow at victoriaarduino1905. And today's episode on the World Coffee and Good Spirits Championship and the World Brewers Cup is supported by Liquor43. You can learn more about this premium liqueur produced in the Mediterranean city of Cartagena at liquor43.com. And James, the producer of the series is you, am I right? Yep, the series is produced by me, James Harper of Filter Productions for the SCA. And Kim, I want to thank you so much for lending your expertise and your time to tell these stories. No, thank you for having me here. It's a great pleasure. And with any luck, I will see you next year at the competitions. You will. I will see you and the rest of the coffee community next year in the World Championship. Cannot wait. Me too. Well, Kim, have a great time over in Singapore and we'll speak soon. Yeah, you have a good day ahead too, James. All right, catch you later. Bye-bye. Bye.